1: You wasn't the butt, not me. My own sweet town, didn't see what I thought. I recognize you for me anymore. I don't want to be defeated. 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 What's up, y'all? Hey,
0: welcome back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I, your host, Shane told, speaks with other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band. And you know, there's been some complaints lately. Not a lot, not a lot, you know. I, I read my emails, I get, I get all kinds of different things in. Mostly, overwhelmingly positive. Thank you so much for the love. But I do like, when, you know, people make suggestions. And somebody emailed me you can email me too, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I'll just tuck that in there. Somebody emailed me and said, I love when you talk to old punk rock guests. I love the episode with Fat Mike of No Effects, with Joey Cape of Lagwagon, Tim from Rise Against, Roger from Agnostic Front. You need to bring more punk bands on the show. And with Warp Tour ending this weekend, oh, what a beautiful, beautiful thing it was to see it go out on top. I took their advice. And this week's guest, his band just put out a new album as well. Russ Rankin of Good Riddance is on the show. A guy that, oh my God, if you told me when I was 17 years old that this guy was going to be on my podcast, at first I'd say, what the hell's a podcast? But oh my God, I'm a huge fan This band, these lyrics, this guy influenced me so much on the person that I am today. And their new record is awesome, by the way. It's called Thoughts and Prayers. It is out now. Check it out. But yes, get ready for another punk rock guest, which you know is my shit. Anyways, yes, you can send me emails, syndrome at gmail.com. Add me on social media. Big shout out to rockabilia.com. They're back. As a sponsor, I'm sure you heard the ad at the beginning of this episode. They are the best. Rockabilia.com, PCLSS for 10% off. Get over there now. As I mentioned, Warp Tour came to a close. My band, Silverstein, we were lucky to close out the monster stage on Saturday night. It was. Amazing. Thanks to everybody that was there. We had an amazing center meetup with members of the All Access Club. I don't know. We must have had like 20 people there hanging out. It was great to see you guys. Thank you for coming and hanging. And the tour continues. Las Vegas tonight. Heading all the way through Texas, Florida, up the East Coast. Make sure... You get tickets if you haven't already. August Burns Red is headlining, playing an awesome set. They even do a drum solo, okay? It's really, really, really good. Silent Planet is there as well. So check it out. And yes, I will plug the All Access Club while I have you. If you've listened to all 185 episodes, even if you haven't, if you want more content... Please check out the All Access Club for as little as $6 a month. It gets you in, it gets you merchandise sent to your house, and most of all, an amazing community of like-minded individuals from all over the world, and we get together at places like Warp Tour. So come, check it out. You'll meet some cool people, you'll make some friends, and it is what keeps this thing going week after week. So leadsingersyndrome.com slash... All access is the link. Check it out. So, Russ Rankin, frontman of Good Riddance for over 30 years, also the singer for Only Crime, Punk Rock Supergroup, straight edge, vegan, not to mention a hockey scout. Lots going on with this guy. So, here it is my conversation with Russ Rankin.
1: Russ,
0: hey. hey, it's Shane with uh, Lead Singer Syndrome. How you doing? Good. How's it going, dude? Good, man. Good. Nice to talk to you. Thanks. You too. Thanks for doing this. It's like it just kind of came up last minute. Vanessa sent me your record, and I was like, man, I would love to to chat with with Russ about just kind of everything, man. So uh, thanks for doing this. No problem. Great, man. So I don't know where to start. I guess I guess the new record, um, your first one in a while, and. I just listened, I just got the record. I just listened to the whole thing and it is a stunning, stunning album. Thank you. I don't know, did you did you write this all over a period of time? Did you just kind of get together and write it in a span of, you know, a couple months? H- how did this all come together? Because this record is really polished and it seems really thought out.
2: Well, thanks. First of all, I appreciate that. Uh, we, you know, a piece in our time came out, I think, I want to say 2015, Maybe mm-hmm. and so after a year or so of playing shows on that, so I would say kind of the end of 2016, in the in the early 2017 is when I started working on, in this latest one. Cool.
0: And, and I always thought you were a, a very underrated, not just a singer, uh, frontman, but also an underrated songwriter. And I always wondered, you know, since I was a kid, I'm like, how does the songwriting in this band work? you guys have such a signature sound, especially the guitar work. Is that something, does Luke kind of come up with, you know, a bunch of the music and you kind of write melodies and lyrics over top? Is it, do you, do you contribute a lot musically? How does that, how does that work with you guys?
2: Basically from our, from our second album on, I would write the bulk of the material like on guitar, Mm -hmm. you know, including guitar melody leads and whatnot. And then kind of show it to the band and, and see if they dug it. And then if they dug it, then it would sort of practice and tweak on it a little bit. Like it was usually when it underwent some sort of change, uh, but not nothing too drastic. Like I brought, I would bring in fully formed songs with the beginning, middle and end lyrics and vocal melody, all that stuff. And then usually Luke would come in with anywhere from two to five songs. Okay. Mus- musically, uh, which then that we would learn. And then I would, Come up with vocals for him. That's awesome. This, yeah. this last album, this newest one, is the first one that I wrote everything.
0: About. Oh, you did? Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great, man.
2: Luke, was, Luke happened to just be incredibly busy with just life. And also, he had another band going that he was sort of getting his. Sure. As an outlet for him with the stuff that he was more drawn to. And so he just was like, You, you got it. Like, we'll see what you have. And so, luckily, they liked the like the stuff that i came up with so i worked out
0: it's funny right like when you whenever you write a song and you show it to the band like doesn't matter you've been been together for 30 years and you know yeah. you know those guys so well but there's still always a little bit of like trepidation right like you're like ah oh, are they gonna like it is they gonna think this is cool like what if they think this sucks yeah <laughs> well dude um I want to talk about the early days of the band. And, you know, you guys have been, I don't know how, how many years it's been, over 30 years. Um, first of all, you don't seem to age, man. Good work on that. <laughs> um, but, but what was it like starting out? Um, you know, Santa Cruz, California, a place, you know, known for its weirdness. But the scene back then, I, I think of West Coast punk rock, maybe other than like Dead Kennedys, I think of it as like kind of a nihilistic not really socially or politically forward-thinking scene. Am I wrong? What was it like for you guys?
2: I think you're not wrong. I think that, I mean, the Dead Candies were one of the first bands I really got into when I was introduced to punk. And I was really drawn right away to the the politics of it. And so I gravitated towards the more political bands, regardless of where they were from. But I I do think that Mm -hmm. growing up, being from a, a small beach town, definitely we were influenced by bands like DI and the adolescence, bad religion, middle-class TSOL bands like that. And so I think there is still a lot of California in our sound. Totally. And, uh, Santa Cruz was strange because I mean, there was, there was a band from here that was, that was huge called blast that we all sort of worshiped and looked up to. And, and sort of, we felt put Santa Cruz on the map musically.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so, with Blast being here, it was it was kind of a cool thing. To, we, everybody could sort of aspire to be like that, and Blast showed us, like you know, as younger people in a band, like Blast showed us that it was possible to be from here and and quote unquote make it. Like they actually released albums, they toured, they toured yeah. nationally, and they had a big following. And so that was that was a huge influence as well uh, on me. Blast, not only their what they were able to accomplish. Uh, but also their music, and there was when I was much younger, there was an, actually a club here that that all the all the bands would play at. But it closed down, and so after that, it was a series of just promoters would come in and do some shows at a hall until a window got broken or somebody got stabbed, <laughs> and then that would end, and they move it to someplace else. So it was kind of a like a lot of scenes. It was a little bit self-destructive. Like people would be complaining that there's no shows, and then right. there'd be shows, and then people would blow it. Um, so it was kind of fits and starts as far as when we started actually playing as a band around here. Uh, so we would just try to, like everyone else, we would try to get on all the local shows. Or if a national band was coming through, we'd try to get on there. And, you know, in the, in the early 90s, shortly after we started, we, we used that book your own fucking life right. book that came out. And yeah. we booked shows up to like Washington and Oregon. We also booked shows out to Texas and back just on a demo tape. Like we sort of just went for it and played random spots and just cause we wanted to see what it was like to tour and to get out there. And that was pretty cool too, like meeting other people and seeing how it was in other cities. And it, it kind of gave us the drive to, to try to be, to try to work on forming our sound and, and yeah. become an actual working band. Um, cause like a lot of, a lot of people want to play music in bands, but not a lot of people want to, want to do the things that you have to do to make it make a go of it so we had to then we had to kind of luke and i were both of the same mindset and then just a matter of finding like-minded people who were who were down
0: absolutely so at this point um i mean you had a demo tape you're touring is this how you kind of got hooked up with like fat mike and fat records and all that did that, that happen pretty shortly after that
2: we we were sending our demos to everybody we could yeah. including fat uh both Luke and I were fans of No Effects, and then we we knew that he started a label, and we we liked the, the albums that Fat had released up to that point. And so, of course, we sent stuff there. We sent stuff everywhere. Um, our demo tape, back when Maxim Rock and Roll reviewed demo tapes, they gave yeah. it a good review. <laughs> and then a, a guy in Austin, Texas, had a label called Little Deputy, and he contacted us and wanted to put out a seven-inch so we put a seven inch out with him, which was really cool. Um, and so that got got a good review as well. And we sent Mike uh, a demo, I can remember, and he actually wrote back and said that he liked it. And we kept sending him more stuff and and syrup, you know, through, serendipitously like Luke was using our van. He'd rented himself out as a driver in a van at one point. <laughs> and a band that he was driving was playing in Vancouver at a festival that NoFX was playing, and Luke was able to meet Mike. And Mike was like, oh yeah, like I really like your guys' stuff, I want to sign you guys. And so that was how that all started. He was going to do a 7-inch with us first, and kind of let us do and write yep. better songs. And then we had a we had a newer demo that he hadn't heard, and we sent that to him, and he thought that we were ready to do a full length. So that all happened. Yeah, yeah it's, within, it's within like six or seven months.
0: It's crazy, and it's funny how you know you're still on Fat Records. You've been on Fat Records the entire time. You know, you're talking about like almost thirty years later. It's absolutely crazy, um, and pretty cool. See, I remember you know the first time I heard of your band, probably like a lot of people. You know, was from those Fat Comps. You know, Survival of yep. the Fattest and yep. Fat Music for Fat People and all that. And one thing that struck me right away was, um, you know, I'm from Canada, so. Uh, Propaganda was were like heroes to me especially with you know what they were talking about and stuff and that that along with Propaganda and you guys you guys really were kind of the the only two bands on Fat Records really pushing that kind of uh, political agenda i mean no effects to a lesser degree uh at yeah. the time too was it was it strange to to be in that environment once you know, Green Day and the Offspring blew up and everyone was looking at punk rock to be this like kind of funny, um, thing, you know, a lot more like the Ramones than, than Dead Kennedys, you know what I mean?
2: I, I remember that, but I didn't really, it didn't really affect me. I mean, I, I've always was drawn to that, that side of it. Like it's always been about, for me, it's always been about a medium to communicate. Sure. Ideas socially or or political ideas, and so uh, I thought the fact that that those bands became really, really popular. I mean, it definitely opened the door for for us, for us at like hundreds of bands, hundreds of bands like us, because now, like, you weren't playing like a party anymore, you were playing like an actual club, and there's people are coming to see you because that kind of music was on MTV, so (laughs) yeah. It was it worked in our in the in our favor and, and hundreds of other bands like us, but it didn't really affect our our agenda as far as what we're gonna be writing about.
0: No, it's cool. No, I I remember I just had this crazy memory of the old Fat Records website and it had like all the bands and they were like I can't remember exactly if it was like shot glasses or like beer bottles, and you'd click on each one. And under yours, it was like all these will get you fucked up, except Good Riddance. They contain no alcohol. Yeah. And like, I love that you know that you were making that kind of statement. But it seemed like you were more akin to like an East Coast New York hardcore band, or like you know something that you'd see on like Victory Records or something than than on on Fat Records. But you still had you know that energy and that sound. Um, and you were marrying like hardcore punk and pop punk, which hadn't really been done before.
2: I'm sure it had. I, I, I know that I know what you're talking about. It, yeah. Like I said, we were we were influenced and born of of California punk and and hardcore music, but we were also very much, particularly, probably Chuck and myself, really really into bands like like the mags Crowd, yeah. yeah. uh, Bad Brains, Sick of It All. Uh, killing time bands like that. And so, so there was a lot of, uh, we, we tried to bring some of that heaviness into our music. Cause that was a lot of the stuff that we were really into at the time. And it, it worked, it worked at some, at some points, at some points, I think it worked against us in hindsight, but that's, that's kind of how that transpired.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, obviously like it was, it was, you know, you talk about what was on MTV and, like, there were, there were definitely friends of mine being like, oh, yeah, like, you know, good riddance. I, I really like their poppy stuff. But then, like, when he starts screaming, like, I don't know. And for me, I was like, that's the best part of the band. Like, I love that that they give me both because I love, you know, I was the same as you. I love New York hardcore and I love West Coast, you know, skate punk or, or whatever. Uh, did you get a chance yeah. to see, like, those bands, like, Cro-Mags or anything back in the 80s? Did they come through and play shows in uh, the Santa Cruz or in the Bay area or anything.
2: I never got a chance to see them. No.
0: Cause it's crazy. You know, you, th- you talk about, you know, different influences musically, but I always think the, the biggest way a band in, has influenced me, at least as a musician is seeing the band. Sure. I can hear their records or whatever, but when you see a spectacle like that, you know, that is like really what I think drives you to be inspired. And, Back in the day when you're talking about bands didn't tour as much, you know, from one coast to the other, it wasn't like, yeah. you know, some of the bigger ones did, but smaller bands, they didn't have any money. They couldn't do that. So I always think it's interesting how the regional sounds came to be and how oh. that is pretty much gone now. That is dead, I think. I mean, just because everyone tours now or everything's, you know, the local scenes aren't, aren't what they were.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. I mean I did get to see bands that had an influence on me that I got to see live, I would say from that area would be would be the Youth of Today. Yeah. Uh Judge and um Verbal Assault from Rhode Island, who I feel like were really an underrated band totally. of that era. They were they they played they came and played Gilman Street in Berkeley and just blew the roof off it and I'd never seen anything like it before.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. <laughs> So one thing one pretty cool thing about your new record too is you have a song in Spanish, which you've never done before, and I didn't actually didn't know that you spoke Spanish. How did that kind of come to be? And how did you decide after all these years, let's take the plunge and and let's try this?
2: Oh, I'd I'd always thought it sounded cool when, when punk bands sang in Spanish, particularly Los Crudos, and I also thought it lended itself to sounding really pissed off and angry. <laughs> yeah, and, it, it and, does um, actually. As a guy that can that can speak Spanish okay, like I, I plus I always think about bands that I like or that I know personally from Europe usually who write a lot of songs in English and how that must seem strange yeah to write all these all these songs uh, that are not in your first language and what I was wondering if it was challenging or not and so I wanted to, to see if I could pull it off and have it flow and make any kind of sense. Uh, so that was sort of a, a challenge that I gave to myself.
0: So I don't um, speak Spanish or understand it or, or anything at all. Uh, can you talk about what the song, what the title is, what it means, and and what the you know just what the general meaning of the song is?
2: Well, the, 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 basically, the song is about what what happens when we don't become you know engaged in each other's welfare. Like what happens when we just let the status quo steamroll over everybody, and when we don't, we don't use our voices. So, that, you know, the title The title means this is what happens or, like, what happens. Okay. And so that's that's what the, basically what the song is about.
0: And when you had this idea to, to choose a song, okay, I, I assume you got a bunch of bits, music, like you, you probably write most of the music first, I assume. Um, when did you just decide, okay, this is the one that I'm going to be singing Spanish over? Did you have, like, a melody in your head or some alert, um, words and you, like, just kind of sang Spanish and then
2: that's so I had how that, it happened? I had that song. I had that song musically set up already and, but I didn't have any, any vocals yet. And I was thinking about what I wanted to sing and I knew I, st- I knew I wanted to try to write a song in Spanish. And so I, I already had the, the chorus for that song. I, w- I already had in my head is like a phrase, like kind of a cool, I mm-hmm. like this, this would probably work in the song. And so I tried it with how the chorus of that song, how it drops to halftime. And so I thought it sounded cool uh, going over that chorus. And so I just kind of went and tried to fill it out, fill out with a couple of verses and stuff like that. And it, and it, and it flowed okay. And I I sang it at practice with the guys and they were, they were on board. Cool.
0: Cool. That's great. That's great. And the record, so the record comes out this Friday, July 19th uh, and 50 cents. Each sale of the record is going to be donated to the second harvest food bank and never again, MSD. Can you talk about those really quick and why you chose um, you know, those charities?
2: Well, it's, I don't think it's any secret that, that hunger, especially childhood hunger, is a, is a really big problem here. And so Second Harvest does, it, does I think, one of the best jobs of um, putting into action like the money that you give them as far as the, the programs that they have nationwide to, to help feed people. And so, I th- and also, there's, it's, they're really accessible and they're easy to get to. And so, we've worked with them in the past, whether it was donating or whether it was setting up uh, drop offs at our shows where people could get in a little you know, dollar off the door price if they brought canned food. And then Second Harvest would come to the show and gather everything. We've done that several times over the years, and they were really easy to work with. Okay. And so, the other one, sort of keeping with the theme of the album title. Sure. Just the, how, how my country has sort of become a nerd to, to gun violence as, as just a thing that, that happens every day here. And it's cool. Like, I don't think it's cool. And I don't (laughs) like the way that our, the people that we, that are charged with shaping policy in my country who decide that if they just send thoughts and prayers, that's enough. Yeah. Um, Whereas conversely, New Zealand has a mass shooting and within a week they've banned automatic weapons within a week. This has been happening here for decades. Um, so I think that donating to to Never Again, uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which is the high school that that was shot up in Florida. Um, I mean, there's there's several several gun control advocacy groups and charities, and that just seemed like the most most. Um, I'm not sure, like timely one, right? Sure. There really was that. There was several that that we could have chosen that would have all been fine. Uh, it was just a matter of just finding one that was that was, you know, had an easy easily navigable navigable website and uh stuff like that.
0: Absolutely, man. Um and and with that theme and with the record, I mean, y- you've never been a band to shy away from from you know what you think about politics, um veganism, especially on your social media. Um, you know, I guess like as much as hardcore, you know, has always cared about that, have you seen a shift in the way politics and music go together or do you think that it still is uh as important now as it's ever been to to people that are fans of of this genre music
2: it's hard to say uh because it's ultimately it's it's what people make of it and so there was a time where i may have thought like that people who listen to our music were were then obligated to become socially and politically active, right. to become like to become many many agents <laughs> of these of this philosophy. Yeah, and I think that now looking back, that that was flawed thinking and not really fair. And while like a lot of people have, have taken the time to let me know how our music inspired them in various ways, and I know for me, like I I'm the person I am today because of the music, the punk and hardcore music I listened to growing up. So I know how, I know how important it can be and how inspiring it can be. I don't know that it's up to, I don't know that I get to decide what people do with it once they hear it. Uh, And so while I can hope that people listen to bands like us and become inspired to then go out in their community and, and register to vote and encourage others to register to vote, because to me, that's the biggest piece that that moves this whole thing. Uh, whether or not people do that is it's not up to me you know a lot, a lot of people still are looking to just be entertained or just yeah. unwind yeah sure uh, and so that's that's got to be that's got to be fair game so i think that um, I, I can hope for a certain outcome when when we release an album like this um, we're not the biggest band in the world but we do have a you know a really awesome fan base with people that are really passionate about our music and and we're really humbled and grateful for that um, and a lot of those people um, are politically active either as a byproduct of listening to us or listening to us and and dozens of other bands like us and so those are the people that we're that i'm kind of counting on but i also don't want to begrudge anybody who's just like hey i want to listen to some cool music this sounds all right like that person <laughs> that person has every right to to be down and listen to it as well
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's funny, like looking back 30 years or whatever, when you started the band, <laughs> do you think progress has been made? Do you think that things have been undone in the last few years? Uh, what's your take now on, on just, just the way it's gone? Do you, are you happy with things the way things have gone? Or are you, are you just as upset as ever, or if not more upset?
2: Probably just as upset, if not more upset, but I'm also hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh And so I think that like with the 2016 election was a big bummer for a lot of people in in my country.
0: Well, a lot of people in the world, actually. I mean, it it affects the world totally.
2: When less than 38% of eligible voters bother to show up and vote, like, what do you expect Mm -hmm. to me? That's the biggest problem is that it's just collective apathy or, or, you know, it's collective apathy combined with, with purposeful marginalization. Like there's people don't get turned off from, from being politically active by accident, like it's by design that people are distracted, marginalized, told they don't count, um, and so a lot of people just have turned have tuned out of the system. And I think that that's long term. I don't think that's a, a good solution.
0: No, no, that's a that's a great point.
2: Um, like when yeah. we when we were in we were touring in Canada during during the last federal election and. And realized that over eighty percent Canada had over eighty percent turnout for the last election. And regardless of how you feel about about the uh, you know the, the the Liberal Party or whatever, mm-hmm. I think that the fact that that many Canadians were educated enough and participated enough is is a good thing. Whereas we had you know under thirty eight percent, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that. Countries like Canada and almost every place else have a free press still and are are actually interested in educating and energizing their their citizens to participate, whereas we are doing everything we can through the culture industry to discourage people from participating.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, So I want to talk about your band Only Crime. Which uh, another another project yours? I just thought was very underrated. Such a cool band. So many great people. Um, Obviously, Bill Stevenson. Um, Is that band done? Is that going to come back? Is that? Do you never know what's going to happen? Where's that project lie right now? You guys made some great records.
2: We thank you, first of all. Also, we, we we have all of us have a desire to continue playing and writing there, there's a group text that's been going around for like three years about <laughs> trying to trying to organize Well, also with some past members coming back and joining and collaborating. And so I don't, I don't doubt that it'll something will happen. I just think it's really tough with how busy everybody is right now. Uh, for, for a while that was, that was a thing that we all had a lot of time for and, and, and we no longer do, you know, the descendants weren't playing at all then. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, I wasn't doing anything else. Uh, most of the time that that band was going, good riddance wasn't playing. We took like five years we didn't play at all. Yeah. And so it's, it's diff- more, much more difficult now, but I, we have never, we have, have definitely not, um, closed the door on it. Cool.
0: And, and with Bill Stevenson, you, you, your relationship with him, obviously it started out as him producing, you know, good riddance records, and then obviously that turned into, you know, a friendship and now he, and then he was your bandmate to come yep. for, to all come full circle with this new record and having him produce the record again. What's that relationship like? Is it, is it really encouraging when you guys get together? Um, cause obviously now that I know that you're the, you know, chief songwriter, in fact, the only songwriter on this record, what's it like, you know, working with a guy like that who's just, I mean, obviously a major influence on you and just like, I mean, to be, to be frank, a, a, a punk rock legend.
2: Well, he, we all love Bill and he, he has a good relationship with everybody in our band and he, like we love hanging, like when the, when the tape stops rolling, we still hang out and tell stories and, mm-hmm. yeah. and we have a, so much shared history now. And so he, and he gets us, he gets like what we're trying to do. And he's, he's old enough to know sort of the coming, becoming from the same place that we're coming from as far as our, 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 the basis of our influences. But, and he's also such a polished and prolific and uh, great engineer. Like he knows all the tricks. He knows how to keep things on budget on time. Yeah. And he, but he knows each of us well yeah. enough that he's able to, to know what buttons to push to get the best performances. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was, he basically put up with me this last time I was, I didn't think I was singing very well and, and I was having a rough go and he was patient, but he, but at the same time he didn't let me get away with any like bitching and <laughs> kept me on point. And, and like I listen back now and it, and like, to me it sounds great. And, and that's, that's a hundred percent bill. One hundred percent. Uh, so he, he was really good with us also You know, we also, we, we recorded several more songs than appear on that album. So we had we needed help paring it, pairing it down. Oh, yeah. I think we recorded 17 songs. And, oh, wow. you know, picking and choosing the ones that would be on the album and stuff like that. Like, he's, you know, he's such a, a major influence and friend, and he understands our music well enough, and we trust him. Like, he really was helpful being an objective outside person, going, like, you guys... These are the songs that you guys should focus on, and and stuff like that. So he he's uh, he's amazing across the board. Like he's a great great human being. He's a he's an amazing uh, musician. Uh, he brings a lot to the table when he's producing, you know, a band like us or anybody that he works with, because he he's from the he has the background and the, and the credentials, but he also has the expertise. Like he's a, mm-hmm. he's he could probably teach a music philosophy course in a university. He knows everything about everything.
0: Yeah. It's wild. Like I was talking to Tim from rise against about that too. And he was just talking about how people don't think of bill Stevenson as a songwriter really, or as a lyricist. But he said that he was, he's amazing when it's like, when you need that lime line or you need that, that rhyme in a song or whatever, he just like, he just gets it. Like he, I've heard, I've heard he's amazing like that, which is, which is really cool too. Because a lot of well, producers all your don't your have-
2: favorite, All your favorite, pretty much all your favorite descendants are all songs he wrote right. lyrics to, so.
0: Yeah. No, I know. That's that's, that's really, really cool. Um, speaking of singing, I mean, this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast. You say you, you had a bit of a struggle uh, recording it. I can't tell. I thought you sounded great on this record. Um, but- Obviously the times have changed there's a lot more studio tricks and stuff as well but is it difficult not just with getting older but also just not being a full-time band you're not using your voice as much to kind of all of a sudden be like have to sing you know all day for how, you know weeks
2: Luckily so like you're you're right I think in that we we weren't playing a lot and it, we also because of our schedules we weren't practicing a lot so I was yeah. you know recording stuff in logic and sending it to the guys. So they had an idea how the song went, but we didn't have, you know, because Sean lives like four hour drive away from us Mm -hmm. and he's also really busy. So we didn't have like in hindsight, if we had to do over again in a perfect world, we would have had more chances to practice as a band before we went in. Uh, so like we weren't really rehearsing as a band as much as we would have liked to, even though everybody had copies of the song that they could play along to. Yeah. Uh, and so there wasn't a lot of singing in rehearsals. Uh, so I don't, I think that it was tough to suddenly start, start singing. Like I was, when I say I struggled, I mean, I felt like I was sort of back to being, I felt like I was beginning, beginning singer guy again. Like I didn't really know what I was doing or right. it felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And I felt like I was letting Bill down cause like he's used to getting better stuff out of me than that. And, but you know, it, it worked itself out and the way that the way that Bill does recordings, and this goes back to when we first went to the blasting room, is traditionally we've gone to studios where like the drummer goes he gets everything done, then the bass player goes, gets everything done, yeah. then the guitar player. And the way that, the way that Bill does it is as soon as drums are done and they're scratch instruments, like anybody can go anytime. Mm-hmm. And so it keeps it fresh so you're not getting hammered on for hours at a time. Totally, and 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 the other person, people who are there, aren't bored. So, like, Sean did his drums, got done in like a couple days, and then he bailed, and we didn't see him again. <laughs> and then, so then, like, and basically, everybody's trying to work around work schedules still. And so, like, you know, Luke would come and do a couple songs, and then I would do two, a couple songs, and then Chuck would do a couple songs, and we just we we'd hammer it out that that way. So it's cuts down on the stress on your body or your voice. Absolutely. Uh, no, I, and hate I it. didn't ever, I didn't, end up, I didn't end up losing my voice, which was good. So right. I did just enough to where I was getting, staying ahead of the game and like not falling behind, but yep. I wasn't getting hammered on for like eight hours a day.
0: Oh man, I know. Uh, I, so hate, that was good. I hate making records like that when it's like, you just leave all the vocals for the end and you're so stressed out about it. And it's true. Like when you're singing this kind of music, like, you know, you could be one scream away from having to take like a couple days off and getting way behind. So absolutely, man. That's, that's uh, another
2: thing that's good about Bill. He knows exactly when that moment is. So like he, he's, I don't have the good sense to stop (laughs) and Bill, Bill like makes the, makes the call. Like you're done, dude. Like, yep. You're done.
0: All right, man. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to talk about hockey I know you're a huge hockey fan. I've known it since I saw Meyer lifting the cup <laughs> in a Good Riddance record yep. when I was a teenager. Um, how did this love for hockey stem? Because obviously in the 80s in California, before the Sharks existed, um, before Gretzky went to the Kings, I can't imagine hockey was very popular, uh, especially where you're from.
2: No, it wasn't. I... I... It's gonna it's gonna date me, but the, my introduction to hockey was the nineteen eighty Winter Olympics. Oh, miracle on, right. miracle on Ice! And Miracle on Ice, exactly. And that that's sort of not only that whole story, just getting caught up in that. Like that's you couldn't even write a script for a Hollywood movie that went like that. As far as like the geopolitical um thing at the time, sure. and and the you know David and Goliath dynamic there, and That whole thing, like we, everybody, got caught up in it, just from a a national perspective, but also just my first chance to to watch hockey every day on TV. Just the the speed and the violence and the color, (laughs) and I just was hooked on it. And then, but yeah, like being being in from Santa Cruz, there's no hockey here. So as soon as I could, I started with you know when I moved out of my parents' house. And I sort of got my own place. I remember watching games on ESPN whenever I could and just studying it and learning about it. And I just got kind of, kind of hooked on it. Like I just couldn't stop watching it and learning about it, learning the history and, and things like that and driving everybody I knew crazy in the process.
0: (laughs) Why, why are you such a fan of uh, the New Jersey devils of all teams? That seems very random.
2: Yeah, I guess it is. You still are a, when, are a fan when, of them, right? Yeah. Uh, when so, like, I, it must have been around eighty-seven or eighty-eight. I was living on my own with a couple of housemates, and so I'm watching games. ESPN's got two, three hockey games, NHL games a week on TV. And up until that time, the Devils had never done anything. They they even got called a Mickey Mouse organization by Wayne Gretzky at one point. They were they <laughs> wow. were a joke. They were a joke. And. But that year, 87, 88, uh, that was when I started. For some reason, ESPN always had them on. I don't know why. But I just, they were on all the time. And so I was like, got used to the players. Yeah. And the the uniform colors, which were red and green back then. And I just liked the way they played. That that year, they had Pat Verbeek, John, uh, John McClain, Brennan Shanahan. Yeah. They had Patrick Sundstrom, this really good Swedish player. They had Sean Burke, who was a rookie in goal, and he was. Yeah. Playing great. They had Jim Schoenfeld as their head coach and he was real fiery and like yelling at the refs all the time and <laughs> kinda of just got used to that that crew, like watching them play. And they had never made the playoffs. And by the end by the spring of that of eighty eight, they were in a situation where it was the last game of the season and if they, they were in Chicago and if they won, they'd be in the playoffs for the first time in their history. And I remember they were trailing late, and John McClain tied it on Darren Pang, and then he, <laughs> and then he, and then John McClain scored again in overtime to win the game. So they went to the playoffs for the first time ever, and they upset the Capitals, they upset the Islanders, and then they took Boston to seven games in the conference finals. Which included the the famous Jim Schoenfeld, Don Koharski donut incident. <laughs> yeah, right. So I was hooked. by By that time, I was hooked. I was like, "This this is, this team is amazing. This awesome. is great." The Sharks came a few years later, and, and you know, it's that made it cool to because now I can go watch NHL games close by. And I also started playing at that time. Like, started joining an, I joined the adult league, learned how to play hockey. Cool.
0: What do you think about uh, PK Subban joining the team? That's exciting, right?
2: that's great i'm i'm stoked i th- I think they needed help back there, and i think that uh who doesn't it's good for him it'll be good for him i mean it's 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 good to give them some personality and uh but he brings something that they don't really have because they because they have a yeah he he brings he brings them a lot of help on the power play like they didn't have anybody like that
0: no no definitely not so you you have a new career as a scout um yeah, And I, I, a lot of people probably don't really understand what that means, um, especially in hockey, because we have a lot of American listeners that probably don't understand how minor hockey works. Can you kind of explain what you do um, and, and talk about you know, how, how are you enjoying it and, and kind of what do you do day to day with that job?
2: Uh, it's not really a career. Like I, I do it in my spare time. I still have a real job because if you're, if you're a regional scout in the Western Hockey League, you're not making any money. Really, you get an honorarium from the team, and they pay expenses. Okay, but my, my job, you know, every every team has has scouts throughout the western provinces of Canada, and then if the, some teams have people in the states too, or they have a head scout that travels. Um, like we, when I worked, when I first started working with Tri City, our head scout would travel to tournaments in Minnesota or Colorado. Uh, but uh, my my territory is California. And so my job is to see the best phantom aged players in the state and talk to them, try to recruit them, talk to their parents, talk about the league and submit reports on them to see if I try to get them uh, drafted and to come to our team.
0: Cool. That must be challenging, especially with, I'm sure a lot of kids want to just, you know, or their parents want them to go to like play college hockey, right? Is that the
2: biggest challenge? Yep. Yep. uh, That is the biggest challenge.
0: Have you had anybody uh, you've, you've uh, signed yet uh, make it to the NHL? I guess you haven't been doing it that long yet, right? But
2: no. Well, I, I, well, the first five years I, I worked for the Kootenai Ice, and we didn't draft anybody from my area. <laughs> well- Kootenai was Kooteny was. I mean, it was it was a great experience, and it was a really good opportunity. But they were really very like Alberta Saskatchewan centric, right? And, and so that's how that went. And then I started working for Tri City. And they've drafted, they've, we've drafted a, f- a few of my, a few of my guys, but they're all still too young. Like the, sure. the first guy of mine that we drafted is an O2. So this coming year would be his NHL draft year.
0: Oh yeah. That's, that's exciting though. I mean, that's, that's yeah. going to be really rewarding. I think like when you see, you know, the players that you found start to, you know, have success. And- yeah.
2: And it's cool too, because there's players that I've watched scouted that have made it just other other teams drafted him or they went a different route right you know, like right. like matt, matt nieto plays for the avalanche now like i watched him as a Bannum, um so that's that's been pretty cool to like see players that i watched I and mean, i watched austin matthews as a Bannum. yeah um so like it's pretty cool to like you're watching them with these crummy cold rinks and then next thing you know they're on tv that's that's pretty cool
0: That's very, very, very cool, man. Very, very cool. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Anything else to tell the people? Anything else that I might have missed?
2: No, I just want to thank everyone for the support and hope. I really hope that people people like the new album. You know, we did we took a couple risks musically. We did some stuff that's a little different, and hopefully, people love it.
0: No, it's a great record. Thoughts and prayers. It will be out now. Whenever you're listening to this, so check it out and uh, remember the 50 cents uh, from each sale is going to second harvest food bank and never again. Uh, so that's, that's awesome, Russ. Thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks man. Bye. All right. Yep. Take care. So there it is with Russ. I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to me about music, about punk rock, about politics, about hockey. I ran into him as well at warp tour. So thank you, Russ, so much for doing this. The new Good Riddance album is out now. It is really, really good. Make sure you check it out. It's called Thoughts and Prayers. They're giving away some money, as I said. So I will leave you with a tune from the new record, but just for selfish purposes, I am going to play you one of my favorite Good Riddance songs as well. If you like the show... Write a review on iTunes, preferably five stars. Feel free to hit me up with suggestions for upcoming episodes, whatever you want. Syndrome at gmail.com. Check out the All Access Club, Syndrome.com slash all access. And most importantly, I just hope you have a great day with whatever you are doing, wherever you are in the world. So thank you so much for listening. Here's the new track from Good Riddance, Wish You Well, followed by... A classic fertile fields. I'll be singing. Peace and love. I'll see you next week.
1: Can we stand? Remaining braced against the fixtures of a thousand Closing in, and the air becomes encumbered, with the inevitable end, and we speak up different places, and now the minutes lead to days, that's just a come. like a song, too soon to forgive, and I'm still hanging on, to the photographs and words, you know I wish you well, and I got what I deserve. Come on Harry, take it easy, or this job either, having to wade through the scum of this city, being swept away by bigger and bigger waves, and corruption apathy and red tape now that doesn't bother me but you know what does bother me what you know what makes me really sick to my stomach what